My guest today is Jared Kite, internationally recognised as an acupuncture master and a fertility expert. Jared trained in five element acupuncture, of which he is now a master and teacher based in London. He started the first ever NHS acupuncture service in the UK in 1993, based at King's College Hospital, predominantly working with patients with AIDS and terminal illnesses. Jared is a renowned author. His latest book, The Art of Baby Making, came out in 2020, and he has gained a reputation as the daddy of all fertility experts. Jared has gone through much change in his life and enabled many to make lasting change in theirs. His discovery of acupuncture was a true epiphany. And in our conversation, he tells me all about that moment and the life-changing journey he embarked on. You are listening to Double Espresso with D, with me, D Sterling. I love a great story. So in this season, I will talk to incredible people who've experienced huge, pivotal moments of real change by choice or by circumstance. From stories of reinvention and inspiring career pivots to the dramatic shifts that happen in moments of crisis, I hope you can join us each week to hear about their fascinating and inspiring journeys. It's such a pleasure for me today to welcome my guest, the wonderful, fabulous Jared Kite. Hi, Jared. Good morning, Dee. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm good, thank you. So, Jared, you've been through plenty of changes and moments of epiphany in your life. I'd like to take you back to a key one when, in the space of 10 days, you made the decision to leave London and your business behind and move to San Francisco for work with someone you'd met just once before. Tell me what that was like. Starting in San Francisco... The most incredible sensation, visceral sensation of being 5,000 miles away or long further, I think. No phones, nobody knew where I was, nobody knew me there except this brief meeting with her and how liberating that felt. When you go back to that moment today of, of liberation almost, how does it make you feel? Excited that I know it's possible to have it again. Sad that it hasn't happened more often in my life. In that I felt wholly and truly alive in that moment. And I mean, it was kind of it was kind of fairy tale magical in a way because I literally arrived there. I had $200 in my pocket. Um, this, this woman didn't know really anything about me other than I had that business. She assumed that I was turning up with somewhere to live. And, you know, she just didn't, didn't question it. She also thought I was about 10 years older than I was. Um, so I turned up with nothing, and I remember looking in the paper and found a room which was on Alamo Square, which had the view of the famous kind of postcard uh, where you've got the skyscrapers in the background and the Victorian houses in front. And, you know, I was just completely blown away that this was possible. It was literally like a rush of something I'd never felt before. And, I, you know, it was, it was the kind of thing that people often describe as drugs. It was like a complete high, but it was just this extraordinary feeling of liberation and freedom. Yeah, that's all I can say. And that I had no idea what was going to happen. I think up to that point, everything felt like it had some uh, promise in front. Whereas this was, I had no idea. Well, it also makes me think of the fact that, you know, these opportunities arise 
and you either seize them or you don't, right? Or you either go with it. And probably back then, you know, if you talk to your parents, they would have said, well, you've got, you know, you, you can't leave your business. But probably in your mind at some epidermic level, you, you thought you'd nothing to lose, right? Um, it's kind of, as I say, like, what's the worst that can happen? Do you think that we, as people, though, really, you know, block ourselves because we don't, we aren't open to the opportunities. You have to be open to it, right? I'm a firm believer that we are given opportunities throughout our life because my understanding is that, you know, the, the nature of life is that it's benevolent, that it offers new beginnings all the time. And, you know, going back to what I do as, a, as a, an acupuncturist, I'm, I'm working with the reality of the seasons and what the seasons teach us. And the seasons teach us is about change and about new opportunities. You know, in the past, you've referred to, you know, what you considered perhaps at the time was quite a rigid mindset because you were really in your in your business lane on that that highway. Talk me through the transition from that through to starting on a new path in acupuncture. Well, I arrived in San Francisco and had a feeling of liberation, but I also arrived with myself and my programming. So I very quickly took what I was used to and kind of imposed it into the new California life. And the striking difference was my work ethic versus the people that I was then working with. You know, they were a much more laid back crowd. Most of the people I met of my age had never worked before. They'd been to, you know, come out, to come out of school, gone into college, um, had never had a part-time job growing up. And I'd been working pretty much since I was 16 and I'd always had part-time jobs. So it was just normal for me. I had, I had this kind of, English working class slash middle class work ethic. So for me, initially, I just put into place what I already knew, but it was sunnier. So I kind of... Uh, <laughs> Big advantage. <laughs> I, did, I, did, I didn't turn straight into a, a hippie or this kind of liberated being. And this was the 80s in San Francisco. You know, it was the tail end of the hippie phase. The transition was having acupuncture. I mean, that was the thing is I, I was getting very um, upset with the people that were working for me at that point. I started employing people uh, because they wouldn't come to work on time. They would leave when they felt like it. They were kind of on their phones to their friends, wondering, you know, it just, I just wasn't used to that. For me, I was absolutely used to a very, very rigid work structure. And it was going to acupuncture, which I didn't believe in at all. I mean, the only reason I went really was because this guy that was recommended to me, Emmett, he was literally around the corner and I thought, well, that's good. I can pop in there at lunchtime. So I was kind of curious, but I, I wasn't taking it that seriously. And I was going because several people I knew had been and said he was great. And I didn't like the interaction. You know, he was asking me questions about me and my life. I'd never done anything like that before. And I didn't believe in it. And the striking thing was for me was because I went as a non-believer, the next morning waking up and feeling different in a way that I can't really explain. I mean, it was similar to the feeling that I had when I arrived there. So that's how I kind of knew it was in the same kind of camp of a new experience and, and, and a very welcome experience. So in the coming days, you know, you're back in work, you're doing your thing, you're back to what you know. Did you see all of that through a new prism because of this experience you had or how did it manifest itself? Uh, the thing that tipped it was the woman that had originally invited me to go out there. I said casually in the conversation to her after the treatment, 
I think it's time for me to start traveling again. And I said, I'm, I'm curious about going to China. I mean, it was bizarre. I didn't even link it with acupuncture or anything. And she immediately said to me, look, I'll tell you what, I'm going to make you a partner in one of my other businesses. She basically didn't want to lose me. So she kind of tempted me with money. And I remember then speaking to my mother and saying, I've got this dilemma. I really feel like I want to travel. You know, I'm, I'm only, I was 24 at the time. And my mother, of course, as mothers do, said, oh, no, no, you should take that opportunity and stay there and keep working. And the next morning I woke up and my gum was pouring with blood. And I went to the dentist. He says, nothing wrong with you. Went to the doctor, nothing wrong with you. And it kept happening until I finally said, no, I'm, I am going to leave. And it, the, literally, the bleeding gums stopped right away. So I was starting to realize the kind of link of stress and the physical body. Uh, and then instead of going to China, I suddenly came up with this idea that I wanted to become a therapist, a psychotherapist. And that was really because people always used to come to me with their problems. And I think with this new insight, it was just all the, the stars aligned. And suddenly I thought, I want to do that. So, Jared, if we fast forward, you know, you, you decided to radically change path. You went back to study. You subsequently trained in five element acupuncture, of which you're now a master and teacher. Can you elaborate a little bit on this type of acupuncture and why it's different from perhaps what people are more used to in the mainstream of styles and forms? I think probably the easiest way to understand it, even though the word spiritual is not everyone's cup of tea, but it is a spiritual practice or a uh, spiritual teaching in that what it's acknowledging is that human beings are composed of a body, a mind, and a spirit. So it doesn't shy away from that as being slightly weird or woo-woo. It simply states, it as a matter of fact, that we are um, composed, well, we are one thing, but we can see ourselves from three different perspectives, which is the purely physical, the mental, and the spiritual. What most of us don't do is put our attention consciously to our spiritual self or the part of us that is our own existence. And it's a really difficult one to explain because it isn't something that we can understand through the mind. How do you recommend that people stepping outside their mind and intellectualizing that bit give attention, give due attention to spirit and the spiritual life? So if we think about a baby, a baby just exists in physical form. The mind hasn't even been... Well, it's not manifesting yet because it's, it's, it's so naive and fresh. It's waiting for input. But the input is sensory. And that's where we see the connection with, with spirit, with the sensory world. And then the mind comes in to make sense of it and, and, and label everything. So the question, yeah, so how do we do that? I think it's, first of all, becoming aware of what it is and then giving it our attention. So I am aware that when I go for a walk with the dogs in the morning... I can either be in my mind thinking about what's going to happen or what happened yesterday or whatever. You know, I, I can do that. Or I can shift my attention and actually feel the cold on my face and what it's like to be walking. Or I can really put my attention on what it is to exist. Which is also being very present, isn't it? It's about being, being in the present, which people struggle so much with. So when you started training and when you went through that process I know study is a lifelong muscle for you and practice but after the, those early years of training and qualifying and practicing what shifted in you there was a, a period of time which um 
I called my two years in the bath. And this is when I first came back from San Francisco. And I really missed the sunshine. I missed the lifestyle. I missed my friends who had died. You know, it was, it was quite a dark time. And I used to spend a lot of time laying in a very hot bath. And I was studying the Kabbalah at the time. This is kind of before it became trendy with Madonna. And it was, it was a serious practice. I was um, um, accosted by someone in my psychotherapy training group. And she said, you know, would you be interested in this training? And, and anyway, so I created this, the glyph, the tree of life. And I had it with a light box behind it in front of my bath. And I would spend hours meditating on that. And it's basically a way of shifting your consciousness away from the conscious mind to something else. During that time, that is where I discovered a different place within myself, which I recognize is a different place where we can all meet as human beings. So it's, it all sounds a bit mad and woo-woo, but it's an actual feeling. It's an experience. And it goes back again to that feeling I had when I arrived in San Francisco, that feeling of freedom. The freedom to not be me in the name I've been given and the gender I have and sexuality I have and where I, you know, all of those labels that, that we, we, we're desperate to have. And then trap us. Was that like an epiphany for you? Uh, no, it was a, a, when I first had it, it was an epiphany, but very difficult to get back to again. It was kind of a fleeting uh, feeling. Although it was powerful, I could feel that my conditioning pulled me back again. So what was interesting about my five-element acupuncture training is that what we had to do was put all of our attention on our senses. So when I meet a new patient, this is the order of, uh, of a play for me, is I make connection with the person by looking in their eyes. So you anchor yourself with them. So you don't know anything about this person, but you connect with them. And once you've kind of plugged in, then all of your attention goes to what do you see, what do you hear, what do you um, um, smell, and what do you feel? So your senses are activated. Now, when you put your attention on your senses, it's impossible to think. So it's actually the easiest way to put your attention on what we're calling the more spiritual aspect by using your senses. And that, I suddenly started to notice when I first started doing this, would take me closer to that place that I'd felt in my epiphany, if you want to call it that. What shifted in your life, if anything? Yes, I gave myself permission to not follow any rules or regulations. For example, I had a practice, um, I built a very good practice within two years of, of graduating. And I felt compelled to go off and learn more about myself, totally selfish. And I told people I was going to disappear quite quickly. And there was a lot of like, oh, that's irresponsible. Or how can you do that? How can you build a practice, then ruin it? And, you know, it was all, all the fear coming in and the kind of conditioning of you can't do that. That's not what you do. My attitude was, and this was kind of my, my learning from my epiphany, is not to be attached to any of it. And I know that's kind of a, a trendy word at the moment, you know, non-attachment. But it really was like, well, I don't know if I want to be an acupuncturist in a year's time or 10 years' time. I don't know who I'm going to be next week. I mean, it really was that idea that this knowledge that we cling to and the labels don't serve me. 
And I, you know, and I, I still do it. I still build, I build more labels. And then I suddenly wake up and I go, ah, no, I don't want this. Now it does sound incredibly selfish, I think. And, you know, because it's not, it's not playing by the rules. Because the rules are that we all run together as a pack and we're there to support each other and to compete with each other and to live with each other. And, and I just, I think my lesson from the epiphany is I don't, I don't like that. I'm not interested in that. It doesn't get anywhere close to the experience that I've had and that I believe to be reality. So would you say it was a year of self-learning? Yes, I would. Yes, it was. It was it was painful year of learning because I realized how screwed up my thinking is and how difficult it is to get rid of that. And I think, you know, we talk about free will and um, which in theory people have um, and being able to make choices. But often people can't make choices because so many choices have been made for them by their families, their parents, their ancestors even, right? But you came back and you returned to acupuncture. I mean, do you feel it was calling you back and, and indeed that that has been part of your calling in life? Yes, I, mi I missed it. I, and I, the reason I missed it is because I realized that when I was working with patients, the place that I inhabited as the practitioner was the part of me that felt most real because my teacher used to say, you know, don't forget that when you walk into your treatment room, leave yourself outside the room. He was very clear that when we go into the treatment room, we are there as what he called an instrument of nature, meaning we are there to serve nature in her divine purpose of life evolving, of change. And that our job is to serve the patient in front of us or serve the person in front of us and take instruction from nature. This is why we diagnose through our senses, not through what people tell us. So today, Jared, I mean, if we, if we fast forward, you know, you've been working for many, many years. You're internationally recognized, you know, not only as an acupuncture master and teacher and author and as a fertility expert. Uh, I'd love to talk more about your work in that respect, which has become, a, a, you know, something you've done an awful lot in over the years. Where did that start? And and you know, clearly fertility is a massive issue today for all sorts of reasons. What are your observations there? My background was psychotherapy. And prior to that, I just enjoyed being with people. It's people I'm interested in. Um, I've never been interested in symptoms. I mean, it's, it's, it's um, I, you know, I do not want to be a doctor. I've got no interest in understanding how the liver works. What I am interested, though, is what makes people tick and why people live a life they don't particularly want to live or is clearly not good for them. So my, when I first left acupuncture college, because of my experience of people dying of AIDS, I went straight into King's College um, AIDS ward and was treating people who were dying. So I cut my teeth on patients who knew time was up and it was a very different kind of interaction. And I also knew that my needles were not going to save them. How did that feel? It felt good because no one was offering anything at that time. There was no medication. What I knew I could offer with the needles, because I'd had that experience, is a sense of peace within a very traumatic, difficult situation for people. And I actually saw that happen with not every patient, but with many of them, I saw um, a greater sense of peace as they were dying. 
So that was where I started. And then straight from that, suddenly I had patients coming to me who were coming for different things and didn't think they could get pregnant and they started getting pregnant. And so this whole thing about me being a fertility expert came on the back accidentally. Why I think I'm good at it is because I don't focus on fertility. Because most people with fertility problems, that is not the cause of their problem. The cause is that they're not okay on some level. And the other thing that's really interesting about helping people with fertility is it's a profoundly traumatic and difficult area for people. I would say, interestingly, that the, the thought that someone couldn't have their own child is almost as traumatic as someone who's dying. And that's my experience. I'm not saying that's a fact. My experience, the level of distress and trauma that I felt from people who really believed they couldn't have kids was almost identical to people who knew their life was going to end soon. So I realized that that primal need or desire or whatever it is to, to procreate, to have children, to have a family, you know, is almost kind of a life or death thing. And then what that made me realize is that suffering is a wonderful opportunity. So my, my way of working with people was very quickly to steer them down that road by asking them, well, how is your relationship? How is your working situation? How do you feel? People willingly engage with that kind of dialogue, even though they'd come specifically to get pregnant. I never had anyone say to me, why are you asking me these questions? I've come here to get pregnant. People got it immediately that there was something in this. And then, of course, you know, people resolve their issues, they start to feel better, they come back into balance, and bingo, they get pregnant. Not everyone, but that was definitely the trend. True, but it's also the force of the mind, isn't it? I think very, very often people are so stuck in their whole sort of paradigm and how they view the world and their place in their own personal ecosystem, right? Which is incredibly constraining. I'd love to talk about the seasons because obviously a lot of acupuncture is associated with the, the seasons and the seasonal changes. And this is something we've talked a lot about. And people in general struggle with change Talk me through a little bit about why we really need to be much more open to what's happening with each, each season. Well, the, season, the seasons from, um, from the five element acupuncture philosophy point of view is what we're first of all acknowledging is that we are not separate little beings running around in nature. Because often we think that, you know, we, we say we're going to go and visit nature. Oh, I love nature. You know, we are nature. And what this system of medicine teaches us is that the natural cycles the laws of nature that operate everywhere are the exact same laws that operate within us. So when we're looking at the seasons, what we, we recognize that each season brings something, something different, that they are all interconnected, they follow a very distinct pattern that does not change. And what this philosophy tells us is that exact same process is happening inside of us. So right now it is winter. That is the dominant part of the season. Therefore, it's also the dominant part within me. So if I'm not in sync with the season, I'm not benefiting from what's on the outside to help me on the inside. What the season of winter is teaching us is to go inside because what nature's doing is it's having a rest. It's building up strength. It's building up reservoirs of water under the ground. The, uh, the seeds are resting. The trees are, you know, everything is having a kip. That is what the season tells us too. Now, some of us 
take advantage of that or some of us get sick in winter because it forces us to have a rest. My point entirely this week. But, you know, if we don't pay attention to what these seasons teach us and then bring that into our own lives, then we are disadvantaging ourselves. So, for example, going into spring, what we know about spring, what nature teaches us is that the new buds appear. There are lighter days. There's more activity. The animals come out of hibernation. We have to do the same. You know, we need to come out of the winter with new ideas, plans. We need to start contacting people, think about what's going to happen for later on in the year. You know, it's, it's a time of great preparation and newness and an opportunity to have another go at our own life. One was a very interesting moment when my mother was dying. She suddenly said in the middle of her kind of morphine high, she said, oh, I've just realized I've only had 82 springs. And it had never, even though I know about this stuff, it never occurred to me that uh, that's true. We, we only get so many goes at this because each season gives us an opportunity and we haven't got that many. I mean, you know, if you have 80, between 80 and 100, you know, you're lucky. Some people only get 40. And the whole point is that when you're having treatment, because you become more aware of the seasons within you, you have a, a much closer, more aligned relationship with the, the season outside of us. How can people find their way back to that? I mean, what, what are your quick steps for someone who wants to just really get back into more mindful living along the, you know, with the seasonal variations and shifts? Well, if, if you can, yes, yeah, spend time in the natural world because the natural world does not lie, you know, and it's, you know, just become more aware. It's having that awareness. And I think consciously asking the question, how do I feel now compared to two months ago? Jared, coming on to change, I mean, life is change. We're permanently in, in change. You know, there are big changes, like some of the changes that you've talked about today and little ones. Why do you think people struggle so much with change? Because I think they believe they're supposed to be in control of their own life. I think they, they, they've been told that uh, you can do whatever you want. You've got to work out what it is you want, and you've got to do X, Y, and Z to achieve that. And so the mind has been given this um, responsibility that it doesn't really want. You know, the mind is there to compute the experience and to create a feedback loop that helps us with the natural process of change. So the truth is, you no, know, none of us know what's going to happen. Some people do live their whole lives under the illusion that they are in control of it because they, they reduce it. They make it much, much smaller. So, of course, if you condense something and you, make, and you, you hold it really tight, of course, not much is going to change within that. But you're missing out. Yes. Well, suffocation. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, that's the kind of free will bit. You can choose... To say, right, this is the way I want my life to be and I don't want any other influence. And if uh, someone like me comes along who's really annoying, challenging, I don't want it. You know, there are some people that come to me and I can tell they don't like me challenging them because I'm challenging the construct. In your work, I mean, clearly every individual is unique. Every situation is different. But do you think your work over many years has made you much more open to change and to the excitement of that? Yes, because sadly, I've seen how people that do follow all the rules and are good boys and girls and do everything right, don't get the real joy and liberation that I know they want. 
Because the problem is, if you ask your mind, who am I and what should I be doing? Your mind ha doesn't have a clue. All it can do is draw a conclusion or a suggestion from what it already knows. The mind is not able to fantasize. That's not where fantasy comes from. That's really where the, where the spirit comes in. The spirit brings in the magic and the, the fantastical aspect of life. So the way to you know, engage with that is not ask your mind. Is you know, to get out there and walk around and, and just see everything slightly differently. So if you give one piece of advice to anybody who feels shackled for whatever reason and feels they want to bring about change, but they're like literally stuck. I know this is very unfair to ask, but what would that one thing be that you would say to them? I would say take a risk. You know, it doesn't have to be a big risk, but take step outside of the box and take a risk. I mean, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's not prescriptive, but something that feels like a risk. There's got to be a little bit of fear around it because when we break the mold, that's kind of scary when we've been investing in it for a long time. So don't, you know, don't, don't be destructive, don't be unkind, but take a risk. So looking forward, what is your focus for you going forward? Well, I've just, you know, I hit 60 last year and as scary, as scary as that is, because I don't feel it at all, I do feel that I've got to take a risk. Yeah, I feel that I've got to, I've got to take a sensible risk. I don't want to, as I say, destroy anything. I don't want to throw the baby out of the bathwater. But I think I need to take a big risk for the sake of, you know, my practice, my patients, myself, my friends. It's my nature. It's, I've got to, to honour my nature. And uh, I'm a bit of a trailblazer. Well, Jared, um, you are incredible. And thank you so much for sharing your story today and um, I look forward with much excitement to the next chapter well thank you so much for inviting me my chat with Jared today has been really eye-opening I loved learning about his approach to work and his more structured mindset how limiting that eventually was and how somewhere like San Francisco in the 80s could offer such a world of liberation and change. Jared reminded me that we are so often more programmed to think and behave in a certain way than we realise. Sometimes we need something to shake us out of that. And that something often is about taking a risk. It doesn't have to be a big risk, but take a step outside of the box and take a risk, he says. The truth is that none of us knows what's going to happen and we have to be open to what's happening around us and the opportunities that are there. As people, we can try so hard to be in control that we make our lives smaller and smaller. But this means missing out on the wonderful adventure of life, on the joy of being who we truly are. And these are the things that interest Jared the most. As he says, He's not interested in symptoms so much or how our body works. He's interested in what makes people tick and why so often we live a life we don't want to or which isn't good for us. And if you do want to make a change, look to nature, something intricately linked with five-element acupuncture. It is nature, says Jared, that shows us time and time again about how change is part of life. 
and how we need time for growth and rebirth like spring, how we need time to declutter our minds and lives and to remove things that no longer serve us like autumn and how we need time to go inside to be still to recuperate like winter. And winter will eventually give way to spring and then to summer and so on. And in this way, we keep moving through life. Nothing stays the same. Change is part of being alive. So embrace it. Thank you so much, Jared, And thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on Double Espresso with D. Do connect with me on Instagram at D Double Espresso. I love hearing your feedback and what has resonated with you. And don't forget to join me next week for another amazing guest interview. Until then, au revoir.